Welcome in, everybody, to the Flagship Podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns 24-7, joined as always by uh, our fearless leader, the managing editor of Horns 24-7, Taylor Estes. Taylor, how are you doing? Chip, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Hey, I'm I'm doing okay. I'm, you know, I'm trying to find the the silver linings. I guess I was at that uh, Texas Kansas State basketball game on Tuesday night, and who were you hanging out with in that? I'm curious. Well, yeah, I was gonna say the silver <laughs> lining ended up being Gary Patterson, who uh, was in a suite with Chris Del Conte, the athletic director at Texas and Gary Patterson's former athletic director at TCU, as well as uh, volleyball coach Jarrett Elliott and his new uh, assistant coach, Jordan Larson, who's like the most decorated volleyball outside hitter ever. Um, Shocker, Jarrett Elliott (laughs) recruits like nobody's business. Um, But yeah, I mean, the highlight, Taylor, was – Getting to talk to Gary Patterson a little bit because it sure wasn't that basketball game. But yeah. we have we got a lot of football going on. I mean, the players are back on campus. They're going through uh, winter off-season conditioning. That started on Tuesday after MLK Day. Tuesday's when classes for the spring semester started. So all those early enrollees you and I talked about last week, uh, like Quinn Ewers and all those – uh, defensive backs like Brian Allen, uh, Terrence Brooks, Savion Bryce, Jalen Gilbo, Ryan Watts. Uh, they're all they're all here. They're all working. Yep. A lot of football news. And yeah, Chip, uh, unfortunately, I, I guess, unfortunately, I don't know if it's a bad thing necessarily, but LA 10 cameras spotted him. Uh He's not very stealthy. He wasn't in a dumpster, at least. Like, I know that people used to always say that Chip went dumpster diving for UT News and was hiding out to get the scoop in the bushes and in dumpsters. Hey, you, you upgraded to hiding out in the suite, Chip. There you go. That's uh, yeah. some progress. That's moving up in the world. I, I think you take that um, as a win for you. But the cameras did catch you there. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. I mean, I had no idea. I was sitting there, you know, talking uh, to them. And then I get back to my seat and my phone was like blowing up. So, um, you know, look, if Gary Patterson's going to be at a basketball game and I know Gary, I've known him for years, I'm going to go say hi. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the, that's the polite thing to do, Taylor, right? It is. It's definitely the polite thing to do. And that's why you're also good at your job too. So as a, if you did not hear Chip, uh, reported last or on Tuesday night, excuse me, that Gary Patterson has been working, um, for the football program. He was at the Texas basketball game wearing Longhorn gear, which was a really interesting sight to see you know i mean you just you're always um used to seeing him decked out in purple and horn frog gear so uh for him to have another texas logo school's logo excuse me on his shirt was interesting but you know good scoop there chip and you also broke some news last night too about texas kicker cameron dicker um declaring for the nfl draft texas on wednesday morning confirmed chip's report that dicker is moving on so texas will not now be in the market for a new starting kicker and puncher for Steve Sarkeesian's second season at Texas. Yeah. And, you know, Dicker, we call him Dicker the kicker because he, you know, he had that game winner against OU in 2018. He had two walk-off game winners against Kansas and Kansas State in 2019. And then he adds full-time punter um, to his duties in 2021. Uh, He took over for Ryan Buchevsky, who tore his ACL late in the 2020 season. Sarkeesian liked what he saw, said he can handle all three. And Dicker becomes a first-team All-Big 12 punter Mm -hmm. and has the fourth-highest punt average in school history this year. So, I mean, this is a significant loss, Taylor. I mean, you know, Dicker was, um, you know, 13 of 15 on field goal attempts, he was 49 of 50 on point extra points and averaged, you know, almost 47 yards per punt this season. And that's a lot to replace, honestly. I mean, when you look at Texas, they have they have Burt Auburn, a redshirt freshman kicker. Uh, I think he's the guy with the crazy red hair. Yeah, yeah, he is. Kind of looks like Carrot Top. 
Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, no offense to Bert Auburn on that. No. But, <laughs> Bert, uh, Bert Orange, I think. I think Nick Harris actually may have come up with that nickname, Bert Orange. Yeah, Bert Orange. Hair. Yeah. <laughs> and then they signed Will Stone, the, the Austin Regents kicker, in this 2022 class. And they signed Australian punter Isaac Pearson um, in the 21 class. Dicker beat him out, essentially, for the job uh, this past season. So it's, you know, that's a question mark now for Texas. And uh, it it was a, a source of strength, a source of confidence for Texas on special teams when it came to field goals and punting. You didn't worry about those things in the 2021 season. So... Uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that. That now becomes a position battle. And I saw where Texas even gave out a preferred walk-on offer to a kicker uh, in the last couple of days. So, look, it's on their mind. It's on their radar as well. And and so Cameron Dicker, what a, what a career. I mean, four-year uh, kicker. Um, we mentioned the game winners, and he's – third all time in points scored. And if he would have come back, Taylor, he would have, he would have um, passed Ricky Williams and Cedric Benson uh, on that list and become the all time points leader at Texas. But in talking to a couple of NFL scouts, they said his versatility makes him more valuable. Now, typically you only see two kickers, two punters drafted, you know, in the entire draft, usually in the fifth round or later, like Michael Dixon um, in 2018, he was taken in the fifth round, became a pro bowler as a rookie, but um, you know, they're the NFL scouts are aware of Cameron Dicker. So we'll see if he gets drafted either way, he'll go to camp with someone. And remember Phil Dawson, who we had on um, the flagship podcast interview, great interview in my opinion, because he's so thoughtful and he gives such really thoughtful answers to, everything about his 20 year NFL career, his time at Texas, whatever, um, you know, he was undrafted. So was Justin Tucker. Justin Tucker is now the most accurate kicker in NFL history. So um, you, you can, you can make it, you can make it big as a kicker. If, uh, if you go to the right place, have the right opportunity and, and can shine. And, and we know Dicker can, can handle field goals and punting. So um yeah, that was that was significant, uh, you know, right? You didn't worry about punting and kicking, right? Yeah, not especially not punting. Honestly, I feel like Dicker was kind of hit or miss sometimes um, in attempts. You know, especially attempts that longer than forty yards. Sometimes he would beat nails, and sometimes it was fifty-fifty. You know, but there's that that was very few and far between the amount of times that he did miss those kicks. If he did miss, that's usually the the range that it was in, but yeah, I mean, you didn't really worry too much about it. I mean, and that's something that you want from a kicker, you know? And um, I know that they, a lot of times don't get anywhere near the respect that they probably deserve, but they get bashed really hard if they miss their kicks. And so, you know, I think that Texas, you know, anytime that you have question marks at kicker, it could really be, you know, a game changer in the season. I mean, I look back at Alabama, not this past year, the year before when they, um, or excuse me, I think it was three years ago, their kicker was so hit or miss. It was like, what the heck is going on? This is Alabama and they, they have a kicker problem. You know, I mean, there's so many uh, right things on that roster, but they didn't get that right. And it, it definitely impacted them, you know, a couple of seasons ago. So you have to have somebody that you can rely on and that, you know, when they go out there, it's not a coin, you know, coin toss or, a, um, you know, a 50, 50 chance they're going to make it. That's what Cameron Dicker did bring to Texas, you know, in his four years, I will say he still left the greatest gif in history, in my opinion, uh, from right before that, that game winning kick against Oklahoma in 2018. So he left his mark um, forever, I think, in the GIF lure of uh, the internet. But yeah, this is definitely a big loss. And whoever is going to step up and take over, they have some really big shoes to fill. My question is, are they going to try to have a punter and a kicker again? Or are they going to be looking for the versatile kind of like multiple um, duty type of responsibility, like how Cameron Dicker had in 2021? That's something that you know, I, I'm not sure what Steve Sarkeesian and um, Jeff Banks' philosophy is on that, but that'll be something to watch, especially this spring too, I think, Chip. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, Dicker's going to end up thanking Steve Sarkeesian. You know, that was a question going into the season, like, 
oh my gosh, Dicker's going to have to handle punting, kickoffs, and field goals. Oh my. And Sarkeesian's like, yeah, I'm not worried about it. And in the end, um, Dicker ends up as a first team All Big 12 punter. That adds to his uh, pro value. And, and so it, it worked out, worked out for everybody uh, without question. Um, Taylor, you know, the Gary Patterson thing obviously is huge. The players getting back on campus, going through winter conditioning. I'm told everyone uh, who was supposed to be there was there. So uh, no notable absences uh, among the players from, uh, you know, being back on campus standpoint. And we'll, we'll update everyone once, you know, they've uh, had more than two workouts. Uh, but Gary Patterson was at the workouts uh, at 6.30 in the morning on Tuesday and 6.30 in the morning on, on Wednesday of this week. And the one thing he told me when I was talking to him on Tuesday night was he said, I want to be for, for Steve Sarkeesian, what Dick Tomey was for Mac Brown. Now, for those who don't remember Dick Tomey, Dick Tomey uh, came to Texas as a consultant for Mac in 2004. At the time he was the all-time winningest coach at Hawaii and Arizona. And he was the head coach of the desert swarm defense uh, teams at Arizona in 92, 93, 94 that had Teddy Bruschi and, you know, held people to like 30 yards rushing. I mean, it's insane what that Arizona defense did. Um, they, you know, they won big games against Miami and they were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And Arizona football wasn't doing well when, you know, Dick Tomey got there, but he was this great team builder. And Dick Tomey did wonderful things for Texas and Mac Brown in that year in 2004. Um, you know, he was at those workouts, uh, and, and Gary Patterson knowing about that because his wife, um, went to school at Texas, worked for DeLos Dodds, worked for Lincoln properties run by, you know, Bill Duvall, one of the top boosters at Texas. Um, it says a lot because he knows Texas football and, and Dick Tomey came in, gave Mac Brown a fresh set of eyes did a lot of really good team building leading up to the run that Texas ultimately had to its national championship. And I just, that, that, you know, from someone who's covered the program for 30 years, who's known Gary Patterson, some people see him burn hot and they think, Oh gosh, he's not going to be able to work, you know, play in the sandbox well with others. That told me that Gary Patterson is coming at this from a really good place because, um, you know, tell me came and said, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what I see. And, and I think that Gary Patterson is, is looking at this the same way. And, uh, and he's a grinder, Taylor, you know, that, I mean, from covering him at, you know, for years in the big 12, the guy is relentless and it doesn't hurt to have that kind of work ethic in your program anywhere doing anything. Right. Yeah. No doubt about it. I mean, if anybody, I think that's a really interesting story that you just told. I, that's the first I've heard of that too. Chip and I did not talk about that before, but that that's important, Chip, because I think the biggest thing that people are going to hear Gary Patterson is in a quote unquote special assistant role for the football program. Not only are they going to be like, what exactly is it? Is he essentially the defensive quarter coordinator in waiting or something? I think that's what a lot of people are assuming. And if that was the approach, I don't think that's a, a smart approach for the football staff in general. I mean, it, it reminds me kind of of when Tom Herman brought in Chris Ash, you know, to be a, a quote unquote consultant right before the, I think it was the West Virginia game and OU game back in 2019. And essentially it was like every single defensive coach on that staff was looking over their shoulder thinking, oh, we're, we're looking at who the next defensive coordinator is going to be. And that caused a lot of strain, I think, within the coaching staff from what my sources had told me at the time. And so when I had heard that Gary Patterson was potentially you know, prior to him being actually physically working on campus, that was something that that popped into my head. Like if this is a Gary Patterson's going to look over Pete Kwiatkowski's shoulders, the defensive staff's shoulders, every move that they make, then this could really not be a good fit. However, hearing, you know, him wanting to take the approach of an overall view of the football program. Plus, you know, he knows the ins and outs of Texas football, as you mentioned, is his wife has the relationships with, uh, you know, worked for the Lost Dodds, um, relationships with Bill Duvall and stuff. He knows more about the state of 
I think Texas athletics, especially Texas football, then I think maybe a lot of people gave him credit for. And so for him to take that approach, I think that that could be very, very beneficial where if he was taking the approach of, oh, I'm just waiting to get my next you know, defensive coordinator job or something like that. I don't think that would be very beneficial for anybody involved. But if that's the, the you know, the way that he's approaching this, then I think this could be a really big win for Texas and could also help out Steve Sarkeesian in a in a big way. I mean, you know, Steve Sarkeesian has been on the job at Texas as a head coach for one full year, a little bit over a year now. Um, however, he had a long hiatus of not being a head coach. And so I think, you know, it helps to kind of get your feet wet a little bit. And it does help to have a veteran coach who is there solely just to help you and is not there to try to take your job or anything like that. And who knows not only the ins and outs of Texas football and the boosters, but also the Big 12 Conference. Um, I think that this is a really big win for both Steve Sarkeesian and the football program. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've mentioned this before, but Gary Patterson wants to learn from Sark too. I mean, Gary's going to get another head coaching job. You don't win 70% of your games in 22 seasons as a head coach, win six conference championships, including a Rose Bowl over Wisconsin, uh, and not get another head coaching job. Right. And so he's also broadening his um, you know, knowledge by being around Steve Sarkeesian from an offensive standpoint. And... And so I think this is a, a mutually beneficial situation. And and I think that, you know, Gary, like I said before, he just wanted to take a step back. He was stunned, obviously, when TCU uh, decided to let him go. And, and, and I think for him, getting to Austin, you know, obviously he's hearing about it from TCU fans. I saw it on Twitter last night when, you know, the picture of him in the Longhorn gear got out and TCU fans are like, oh, well, okay. You ran him out of town. You ran him out of town. <laughs> like, ran him out of town. <laughs> I don't know what to say. And yeah. when I asked Gary, I said, how's that feel? How's that Longhorn uh, pullover feel? He's like, he's like, hey, we're working. We're working. You know, and that's how Gary looks at things. I mean, he's, he's always forward motion and, um, you know, gets excited about every little detail of football. So, uh, I think this has a chance to to be successful. So um, we'll we'll certainly keep our eye on that, uh, Taylor. There was everyone some... look, watch the sweets at basketball games too. <laughs> Just kidding. How about that? <laughs> I was like, I told Chip I had to rip on him a little bit for that. So. <laughs> and I'm like, really? I was on LHN. Oh God, you know. Hey, good news is not everybody has LHN. So that's true. That's true. And it won't <laughs> be around much time. longer. So yeah. I guess... I should consider myself lucky. Um, Taylor, obviously, Texas has gotten a commitment from Alabama tight end Jaleel Billingsley. I'm not not quite sure how to feel about this, but let's be honest. Um, he's been, you know, they lose Jared Wiley um, to TCU. Jared Wiley, despite being six foot seven and 251 pounds, you would think an ideal blocking tight end still saw himself as more of a down the field pass catching tight end. And that's kind of how Jaleel Billingsley sees himself um, at 6'3, 240. He's a good pass catcher. Nick Saban was always on him to be, you know, more committed to being a blocker and and being more physical. We'll see if that light bulb goes on uh, at Texas because they they lost Cade Brewer and and he was the H-back. He was the blocking tight end on this team. You're now looking at Gunnar Helm and Jatavian Sanders, guys with you know really good upside but no experience. Uh, Juan Davis is more of that pass-catching tight end. So I think this is going to be interesting. Can Jalil Billingsley come to Texas and put it all together? Because he was passed up. You know, they had Cameron Latou who was a redshirt junior who'd just been, you know, behind um, the previous uh, starter come right in and become the guy and set an Alabama touchdowns record at tight end this year with eight touchdown catches. Heck, he had a touchdown in the national championship game against Georgia. So I get why Jaleel Billingsley is looking for a new fresh opportunity. We'll see if he can, 
you know, I mean, Steve Sarkeesian asks a lot of his H-back blocking tight end. And you got to love that role. I mean, because you're going to be the lead blocker on a lot of power plays. So I'm, I'm interested to see if Jaleel Billingsley can plug into that. And, you know, with his time running out, um, you know, time is now. Yeah. Well, my question is, I've seen this this asked um, and or brought up, I should say, on uh, the Horns 24-7 message board a few times now, is, you know, Texas still is lacking depth and, and playmakers, honestly, at wide receiver. No, you know, they have Xavier Worthy. Um, they'll have Jordan Whittington. Hopefully, Troy O'Meary, something can click and he can stay healthy coming back. However, I wonder if Jaleel Billingsley could make a transition to a wide receiver or if that's even on the table for Steve Sarkeesian and Jeff Banks and the offensive staff because of the limited numbers at wide receiver. That's something that I, I really am curious if the reason why they went after this tight end, obviously they, you know, they have prior relationships. Um, Steve Sarkeesian, Jeff Banks coached him at Alabama as well. But a part of me wonders if this could be a, okay, we need depth at tight end. And if we have a, you know, in, a solid blocking H-back tight end type of opportunity. Maybe Jaleel Billingsley goes out and plays some at wide receiver since he's more of a natural pass catching tight end. I'm curious if you think that that's something that Steve Sarkeesian and the staff are thinking about, or if it's just, you know, try to work on his blocking right now and hope that that, you know, clicks for him. Yeah. I mean, I get the feeling because of his experience at tight end in this offense and the fact that Steve Sarkeesian loves Ferraris at receiver. He's all about speed. I think, I think Billingsley will be at tight end. I've said, is Juan Davis fast enough to to transition to receiver? Is he Troy O'Meary fast? And is Troy O'Meary still Troy O'Meary fast after the the knee injury um, last? You know, he recovered from the ACL. Then he had a setback, a season-ending setback. We got to. We got to see if Troy O'Meary is still Troy O'Meary fast. So I think, I think those are decisions that, and and obviously we'll we'll get to this next item too because our our man uh, Isaiah Nayor of Wyoming, who's already committed to Tennessee but is still taking visits, uh, is visiting uh, Texas today, Wednesday. We're recording this, so he's six three. He's a a big uh, receiver. Had. Uh, what 12 touchdown catches last year for for Wyoming I think my gut is Billingsley stays at tight end and they try to find answers at receiver either you know in the portal um, now or in the portal after spring so um, just my my gut feel I'll, I'll look into it a little bit more now that well Billingsley won't be on campus until June, but, um, you know, just kind of what the coaches are thinking, uh, there, because we got to find out how, how Troy O'Meary doing and cause there are high hopes. There were high hopes for him uh, coming in. And I know it, it was tough for him to grasp this offense, the concepts of it. Um, and, and so now with a full year, even injured, he can, you know, digest this offense from the sidelines is, is that's, that counts. That's a year of maturity watching film with, with his fellow receivers, understanding the concepts of this offense. Uh, he's a big, um, you know, question mark, potential surprise, potential, you know, bummer if, if he's yeah. not the same. So that is a big question mark. Yeah. And I think with him, Chip, we kind of, I feel like we saw it a little bit in, you know, during fall camp or prior to him re-aggravating, you know, his knee injury. But, you know, there was a part of me that every time that he was going, you know, when in the drills that we saw and stuff, that he seemed timid. And right. and that honestly, that's a very common thing, I think, especially when people, you know, uh, have an ACL injury or, you know, a substantial, you know, lower extremity injury in football, especially at a young age, that it's, it's more, um, it's easy for them to play too protective and trying to protect themselves. And a lot of times that's actually how you re-aggravate your injuries by not playing, you know, with your natural inst instincts and playing a little timid. And I think that that is what we saw with Troy O'Meary. I wonder how long that's going to 
take to get out of his head or if it will right now, Chip, because I mean, he's had back to back season ending injuries. And, you know, even when he was healthy, I feel like you could tell he was not going at it a hundred percent. And I think that was just to protect himself. Um, so, you know, I, I totally agree with you. This can be a huge, you know, surprise, a huge breakout type of season for him, or it could be a big letdown. And the what if, what if he didn't have that injury? What could he have done? Because go back to his true freshman fall camp. I mean, he was ahead of everyone on the death chart, <laughs> like everyone. Yep. I mean, he was he was yep. the spot, the highlight, you know, and 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 that wasn't just you know, hype from media or from fans or anything. That was exactly, I mean, he was literally the leading receiver on the depth chart after only what a week in fall camp. And then he goes down with that, that uh, season ending injury. So there's still a lot of, I think, hope and high hopes for him. I want to see it because, you know, we didn't get the opportunity to see with our own eyes him in fall camp, um, you know, prior to the 2020 season, because they didn't allow media out there. It was all because of COVID, like it was all restricted. The only, you know, times we saw them, honestly, were in games and there was no spring football. So I still feel like we've had this two years of hope to see what Troy O'Meary is and we have yet to see it. And I feel like the time is now or never because, I mean, if this if this staff, they're going to start, you know, recruiting over him quickly too, especially because they need the the position and they debt that wide receiver that they don't currently have. And in my opinion, Chip, it's kind of now or never for him. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, you got to hope that the, the medical repairs have, have worked and that he is confident because you're right. He was wearing that big clunky knee brace and he just didn't think his knee was right. And that's always a tough one. We've seen that in pro sports, you know, Kawhi Leonard in the Spurs when, when the team says you're good to go and the player doesn't feel right, there's a, there's a disconnect there that can cause real issues. So we'll, we'll be watching the Troy O'Meary situation. Antonio um, Brown. <laughs> Antonio <laughs> Brown. <Exactly. laughs> oh boy. Um, and then Taylor, speaking of Alabama transfers, um, our man, Steve Wiltfong, uh, the 24 seven sports director of recruiting has put in a crystal ball for Texas for um, Alabama graduate transfer linebacker, Jalen Moody. And, you know, after the Ben Davis experience, I'm, I'm very much wait and see on this, but um, Moody has been there for years. He's been a special teams guy and he, he got in, uh, in backup duty in the opener in 2021 and had an interception against the Miami hurricanes. He finished the year with 11 tackles. Um, and obviously if you've been recruited to Alabama, you're probably, a really good athlete. I would like to have seen more of Ben Davis. Honestly, I think he, you know, he had two sacks, which like put him in contention for the team lead this year. Every time he got on the field, it seemed like he made a play, but um, we didn't get to see him that much. So yeah, well, he had that Jill foot injury too. Yeah, late in the summer or prior to fall camp, that I think you know impacted him. But Jalen Moody, you know, six two two thirty, inside linebacker. So it it it's a it's a guy, you know, you got Luke Brockermeyer coming off the, the ACL tear that occurred in their last contact practice, the worst possible time. Cause it's going to push uh, into summer for him to be able to get back. He'll get back in time for fall camp. And then you've got Jalen Ford who came on and, um, you know, played well at times and at that middle linebacker position. And of course you've got, Marvin Overshawn and, and David Benda uh, at that sort of will weak side linebacker um, position. So, you know, Jalen Moody provides depth. You'd like to, to find that in the high school recruiting, honestly. Uh, Texas has uh, Travell Johnson coming in, who I know a lot of people aren't excited about, but I've heard the the coaches love him because the guy is just, he's just a contact machine. Like he just craves contact and is super physical. And so um, we'll see if, if he can develop because um, he's not an early enrollee and, and he's light. So uh, kind of reminds me of Marvin Overshawn a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it's going to need time to, to put on the weight necessary 
to be the kind of linebacker uh, that that Texas probably wants. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, I know it's kind of a wait and see with Jalen Moody, but he did play, I think it was in 55 career games at Alabama during his time there. So he may not have been, you know, a starter, you know, but he did play in plenty of games. Um, And, you know, I think it doesn't hurt to have prior relationships with players out of the transfer portal like Steve Sarkeesian and the staff have. I mean, you know, they they know the character of these guys, especially the Alabama ones that they're going after. They know their work ethic. They know, you know, their skill set from um, a lot of the coaches that are on the staff's time spent at Alabama. And that a lot of times can really help um, just, you know, the transition. Because that was one thing, you know, we heard all last offseason was some of the um, transfer portal guys they brought in, like the Ben Davises and the Ovia Gofus and Ray Thorntons and them, you know, they they approached the every aspect of football practice, film watching, all of that from a different standpoint. And because they had been at those type of big time programs that had competed for national championships. And Texas doesn't have a lot of players like that on this roster, obviously. Uh, the most they've achieved is a Sugar Bowl win. And so, you know, I think that this helps because these guys already know the coach's message. They know what is, you know, expected of them from the time that they had spent, you know, playing under them at a different school. And Texas needs more guys like that on this roster. They need to know the expectations. And, you know, there was, as we had reported last year, there was a scuffle between the offensive lineman and Ben Davis because the offensive lineman was complaining about doing, you know, having to do up downs after practice. And Ben Davis like, well, you didn't do your job. So yeah, we do have to do this. And it ended up in a fight. And I was glad somebody said that. It kind of goes to the Bo Davis, you know, the uh, the rant that we heard on the bus. I mean, you need to have guys that breathe fire. And I feel like it's hard not to question if a player comes in from Alabama that they don't breathe fire because look at what they are a product of and look at the head coach that they've played for. And um, Nick Saban breathes fire. He's a he's a player's coach too, but he definitely breathe, breathes fire and, you know, expects a lot out of his players and his guys. And so, you know, having more guys that already understand that, that, that to me gives Texas a little bit of an advantage as opposed to, to just going for some random guy in the transfer portal that there's no prior relationships with. Yeah. Yeah. No, no question about that. They come from good culture. Yes. <laughs> good program culture. And, uh, and that's what Steve Sarkeesian's trying to build uh, at Texas. Um, speaking of, um, you know, good program culture, Taylor, um, you know, Chris Beard's trying to get that figured out for the Texas men's basketball team. And it, man, that was a, that was a tough one uh, on Tuesday night at the Irwin center, because you had this great performance from Marcus Carr, who literally took over the game um, in the second half when um, Texas had a nine point lead early. And then K state, then Texas started committing some really bad fouls and it just slowed the game down. It got the, Longhorns out of sync and K state is this methodical, you know, grinding team with good chemistry and they've got some scores. Um, and, and they started to put, put it together, whittle, whittle back. And all of a sudden they're, you know, they're leading in the game. They go up by four. Well, then Marcus Carr takes over and it was something to see. He made five straight shots. He scored 17 of their 19 points in, in, that stretch and Texas goes up by four with a little over five minutes to play. And then they go cold. Mm -hmm. Texas goes cold. I mean, they end up not scoring a point in the final three thirty-two. And meanwhile, K state, I mean, it was a defensive battle for sure. But K-State ends up finishing the game on a 6-0 run and escapes with a 66-65 win. And this is one that definitely got away. And it's the unfortunate thing, Taylor, is that this is a trend and we it's the wrong kind of trend. It's just like Steve Sarkeesian had to deal with, with his football team not being able to finish games. And now this Texas basketball team, if you go back and look at their loss to Seton Hall, they went more than seven minutes without a point, um, you know, from the 8-12 mark to the 52-second mark of the second half and ended up losing uh, against Oklahoma State. They 
um, had a three-minute lapse and no points in the final two minutes and 27 seconds of that game. They lost. And and Iowa State, they, you know, had a another lapse where, you know, for three minutes uh, in a crucial point in the game, Iowa State breaks it open. Texas has no points. And then, again, last night, no points in the final 332. And it's just – it's like you got these – really highly sought after transfer players who've all been big time players for their previous teams, but they're still trying to figure out, okay, what's our best, you know, way to set up, who do we set up? How do we set up? What play are we running? And of course you have to factor in the other team trying to take that play away. And that was tough because I, I, I thought Texas was going to win that game. No, even, when they were, you know, struggling to score in those final four minutes, you just felt like, okay, they're at home. The crowd was good. They were on their feet the final 10 minutes of the game. I mean, he's starting to build the atmosphere he wants in that, even in the Irwin center, before we get to the really super cool Moody center. And you just thought they were going to win that game. And then he comes out in the post game and he's like, that, that is, we got some really hurt players in there because they thought they were going to win that game. And, and they got to pick it up because they're playing Oklahoma State Saturday at home, and Oklahoma State beat them in Stillwater, as I mentioned. Um, so Texas has got to protect its home floor, and it, I, I don't want to say that they that Texas plays down to its competition because that's never been a Chris Beard trait. But remember, right. he didn't recruit these guys out of high school; they haven't been with him for you know, they've been with him for months, not years. Right. Yeah. And let's be honest. I mean, you saw, you know, the culture being an issue in the football program too, because it's culture is not something that's developed overnight. It's not something that you just say what it's going to be and everyone accepts it. And then it goes from there. I mean, it's something that takes a long time to develop and, and, you know, Chris Beard being hired back in April, I believe it was April 1st or April 2nd that he was hired. I mean, he hasn't even been there for a whole year, as you mentioned. And so obviously his culture has worked. It worked at Texas Tech. And it's similar to, I think, the football program. I mean, the culture that Steve Sarkeesian and his staff are trying to instill has worked for them at different places and, you know, has led to them being on national championship type of uh, coaching staffs. And so I think that, you know, it's it's a little unfortunate that you're seeing this from the basketball program because there was a lot more hype for Texas basketball entering this season. Um, because of how well they were able to recruit out of the transfer portal and because Chris Beard's, you know, success in, in building um, teams that go, you know, late in March in the tournament. But I almost, you know, it, it kind of feels like a little bit of a deja vu to me, Chip, that this is what we just witnessed in the football program. And unfortunately, it didn't end, you know, in Texas favor there. But I feel like maybe you're still seeing the lingering you know, effects of a, a lack of culture or, a, you know, not as strong or I guess I don't want to say a weak culture, but maybe that's what it is that these some of the players that are on Texas and have been there um, still kind of are holding to, you know, they're kind of staying staying true to that. And that's something that is going to take time for Chris Beard to change. But you got to change it fast because if you were a top 10 preseason team and now all of a sudden you're losing, you know, three of four games to teams that you are high, you know, that you should win, not just against, you know, elite opponents. These are games they should win. And uh, that that's definitely not, you know, a recipe for success, especially now that Texas is in big 12 play, you would be hoping that you're seeing the team progress, not, you know, regress. And I think right now you're kind of seeing a little bit of a regression right now from Texas basketball. Yeah. I think, um, look, Chris Beard is a tough guy and he coaches hard. I'm not sure these guys have been coached this hard at their previous stops. And I think we're seeing Marcus Carr, um, you know, starting to show that he can take over games, which is what you want. But, you know, the, his teammates can't stand around either. You know, when, when a guy goes off like that, it, you can kind of get hypnotized and, um, and, you know, when he missed a couple shots after making five in a row, someone else had to get in there and, and pick it up. And they, they couldn't, 
they couldn't find the answer. And Christian Bishop went out of the game with a minute 12 left. Courtney Ramey came in and uh, Ramey missed a shot, kind of a hurried contested shot. And then Marcus Carr had a pretty good look at, at what would have been the game winner. Um, as time was expiring, it didn't go down in Texas, ends up losing that one-point game. There's still a lot of time left, and there's a lot of opportunities for Texas. They haven't even played Kansas once. They haven't played Baylor yet. They haven't played Texas Tech yet. I'm I'm going out to Lubbock February 1st for that one. That That's going to be bonkers uh, because Texas Tech's playing really well this season under Mark Adams. So a lot of time left for Texas to figure it out, but – you got to win at home and that so Saturday's game against Oklahoma state uh, becomes a must win. I mean, it just does. Uh, this K state game was kind of a must win because K state's nine and seven They're They were one and four in big 12 play coming in. Um, but they've been a, they're a veteran team. They've played together and they, you know, when one of their guards would go to the basket, another guard would follow and look and they would find the cutter and, and get a layup and Texas, you know, you watch Marcus Carr go to the basket. I don't, I don't see Andrew Jones or Courtney Ramey following him in there in case, you know, he gets stuffed and he and needs to drop it off to one of them. So that's the little nuance chemistry stuff that needs to develop. And, um, and so we'll see, but uh, Texas women's basketball got right. Uh, they had a couple tough games at home against Texas tech and, um, and against Kansas, and then they they really put it to West Virginia. So uh, Vic Schaefer feeling a lot better about his team uh, heading into, uh, well, continuing in, in Big 12 play after some really good early season wins over Stanford and Texas A&M. So um, Taylor, you ready? Oh, and, and Texas baseball got another preseason number one after collegiate baseball uh, put them number one in their preseason poll. Uh, D1 baseball also has Texas at number one, Taylor. Yep, that's a good place to start. Hopefully they, you know, live up to that. I think they yeah. will. I think that they have a, a, a really, really talented team coming back. So I think this baseball season is going to be fun for Texas fans to watch. Um, hopefully we'll end in a trip to Omaha too. We'll see. But, yeah, they start um, their season February 18th against Rice. Rice, yeah. Rice is ranked too, aren't they? Um, Are they not? Not where I've seen. Okay, so I know that Texas, a lot of the, the teams on their schedule are preseason top 25 teams. I wasn't sure if Rice was one or not. Yeah. I think there's like uh, seven or eight to start the year. So going to be a fun one. Baseball season coming up here. All right, Chip, you ready for some love it or leave it? Let's do it. All right, we're going to take just a really quick break here, but we will return with everyone's favorite segment, Love It or Leave It, which will be covering some more football and basketball talk here on the flagship podcast. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We will continue on here to love it or leave it. Chip, you ready? I'm ready. Fire away. All right, my first one is love it or leave it. Deep down, you have concerns about former TCU coach Gary Patterson fitting into UT's football program as a special assistant. You know what? After um, after getting to chat with Gary a little bit uh, Tuesday night, I think he's coming at this from the right frame of mind. I, I sensed him uh, enjoying himself, uh, excited to help, excited to learn from Steve Sarkeesian. Um, and, and that's what the good coaches do. They, they go study other programs in the off season and learn some things that they can bring and, and change. And Gary Patterson is a guy who has shown that he's been willing to change, you know, in 2013, he, he had, um, um, 
the four and eight season. And then um, he opened up his offense. He went from a pro style offense to more of a, a spread concept with a mobile quarterback and Trevon Boykin and, and, you know, ended up almost making the college football playoff in, you know, um, 13, 14, one of those years, but 2014, the first year. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that's, you got to be able to be self-aware. And so I think Gary Patterson has shown that he can be self-aware and, and I think he's coming at this from um, a good frame of mind when he says, I'd like to be for Steve Sarkeesian, what Dick Tomey was for Mac Brown. That tells me, okay, he's in the right frame of mind. And so, I'm going to leave this, Taylor. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to have to agree because, you know, as I had said earlier, if this was a situation where he was coming in almost as an unnamed, you know, defensive coordinator in waiting or something like that, I think this would have been a disaster situation. I really don't think that would work out um, to anyone's benefit, to be honest. So, but, you know, hearing what he said to you about his approach and, um, you know, understanding that he's there to not just, you know, instill his will, but also learn from uh, the the coaching staff at Texas and Steve Sarkeesian, you know, that that's big. And that that's something that a lot of times, especially head coaches who have been very successful, you know, it's hard for them a lot of times to get out of their own way and to think that, you know, maybe their approach needed to be refreshed or something like that. That's something I mean, these head football coaches have egos. I mean, let's be honest, they do. And, and that's not a negative thing. You have to be very confident in yourself, especially at a place like Texas or at a Power 5 school if you're going to be the face of the football program because there's going to be, you know, so much pressure on you. So you have to be able to, to accept that and embrace it. Um, but I do think a lot of times coaches get into their own, almost get in their own way because they do not you know, listen to outside opinion, or they don't want to hear that what they're doing may not be working because this worked in the past. And so I do think that, you know, the fact that Gary Patterson is coming in, knowing, you know, he um, is not only there to potentially get a coaching staff position or something like that, but he really does understand the ins and outs of Texas football and is there to learn from Steve Sarkeesian and, you know, and vice versa, Steve Sarkeesian to learn from him. That's huge. So yeah, I'm going to have to agree and say that I'm going to leave it. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't think if that is truly the approach that Gary Patterson is taking, then there's not any concern in my mind for, you know, him joining the staff. All right. Love it or leave it. Number two. All right. Number two is love it or leave it. You're stunned at how well the Longhorns off season has gone so far, considering the team's five and second seven record in 2021. I mean, I'm going to be honest. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to love this because it seems like, and recruiting's not done, but the way that Texas was able to recruit on the offensive and defensive lines, um, obviously the, the excitement over Quinn Ewers uh, at quarterback and then the coaching hires, you know, Stan Drayton goes to temple. They bring in to shard choice. Sarkeesian lets go of Andre Coleman. He brings in, Brennan Marion, who's seen as a really rising star assistant um, who has already been an offensive coordinator at a lower level at Howard, but both really high energy recruiters. And I think that's, that's what Steve Sarkeesian needs. I mean, let's be honest, your receivers coach and your running backs coach, um, they have to attract big time skill talent. I mean, Stan Drayton was a very surgical recruiter. He really recruited his position, his position well. Um, but Brennan Marion and Tashar Choice have reputations as guys who can recruit any position, kind of like Jeff Banks. And so uh, that's, that's really big because those positions, um, they're not as technical as like an offensive line or defensive line coach. And you, that's where all the flashy skill talent is. You got to be able to walk and talk and attract that kind of talent. And, and so I think that was huge. And then you add in Gary Patterson, you, you know, add in the fact that uh, Texas is still in the hunt 
for players like Devin Campbell, the the top interior lineman in the 2022 class. And I'm just going to have to love this, Taylor. I mean, for a five and seven season that included the longest losing streak since 1956, for everything to go the way it has, um, you know, including the Pancake Factory, which I think came out in like December 5th, uh, it's it's been probably better than most could anticipate in terms of an off season. How about you? Yeah, yeah, I think um, you know, few things stun me, but this has been pretty stunning to watch, I would say. So I I definitely have to love this. Um because look, I mean, we we live in a society where it is instant grati- gratification. You know, it's it's if you come in as a head coach, you win now or else you're on the hot seat. And especially at a place like the University of Texas, that's been the the case. And that in like the social media age and how easy access or how much access it is or there is, I should say, you know, to for recruits and whatever to find on the Internet about problems. I mean, there there were so many things that went on at Texas this season um, that you would think this was going to be a letdown of a signing class, you know, but. I would say that this Texas staff couldn't have done a better job. I mean, there's obviously some guys that they probably wish they would have signed during the early signing period, but I think that they really made up for um, any guys that they missed out on in both, you know, the high school ranks and the transfer portal. I think that this is, I don't think that's ending. I think that there's still a lot of movement that could be, um, you know, being made essentially in the transfer portal for the staff. So they're not done yet. And the fact that we're sitting here after a five and seven season, you know, that, where Texas has not been on the field for over a month, you know, when other teams were playing in bowl games, were playing for, you know, um, big bowl games too. And um, I think that you couldn't have asked for a better scenario to play out. So yeah, I'm going to agree. I'm going to love it and say, this is, I'm stunned at how well the Longhorns off season has gone. Um, and I think it's only going to get better from here, Chip. Well, and Texas opinion. fans would tell you that this off season has also been uh, a, a, you know, a blessing because Lincoln Riley left OU. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. And and the OU program has had a bunch of players leave. And so, um, you know, I'm not getting into that because I think Brent Venables does a good job and he was able to, to hang on to Bill Biedenbaugh as his offensive line uh, coach there at OU and and I think Biedenbaugh is really good. I think he's, you know, a lot of credit for Lincoln Riley's success with that counter tray based, um, you know, offensive attack that Riley incorporates is because of Biedenbaugh. So um, anyway, it has been a tumultuous offseason for OU. And I think Texas fans feel better about their uh, chances going forward because of it. Yeah. Hey, and TCU no longer has Gary Patterson there too. TCU no longer has Gary Patterson. Yeah. So yeah, though, I didn't even think about that aspect of it, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. How about that? All right. Um, (laughs) Or leave it number three. All right. My final one is love it or leave it. You're surprised that Texas basketball seems to be losing close games the same way by going silent on offense in the final minutes when it matters most. Yeah, I'm going to love this um, because you just, as a coach, you hate when a negative trend develops and then your players start getting asked about it. I mean, that's, it's painful. It's hard. It's hard even as a journalist to ask like the football team, okay, how did this one get away? You know, I mean, it was like different every time, Um, but with the basketball team, they do seem to you know, lose their mojo on offense. They, they struggle to figure out where to go, how to, how to get, um, you know, their, their baskets. And, and Chris Beard is a guy who says, you know, we have a, and he's right. They have a bunch of different guys who can hurt you, but like Trey Mitchell, he's a really skilled uh, six foot nine, um, you know, interior player. I think when he comes in teams, double team him, but I'm not seeing him on the floor at, at, at crunch time. So he's not doing something that Chris Beard needs him to do to be on the floor in those situations to help the team. And it's, 
Rick Barnes went through this where he valued defense so much that, you know, sometimes he had a blind spot to, you know, which players could help him offensively when, you know, players in the starting five or whatever weren't hitting shots. Last night was so weird, Taylor, because Marcus Carr was the hottest thing on the floor, either team. And then Texas just went stone cold, you know, couldn't make a shot, couldn't score a point. The final 332 of a game, they were leading uh, by four points with, you know, five minutes left. So it's just, that's a tough one. That was like, this feels like some Shakespearean, you know, irony. Yeah, happening here because that I didn't see that one coming. So I'm I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to love this. How about you? Yeah, you know how much I hate agreeing with you on all of these, but yeah, I'm going to also uh, love it. And it's it's definitely disappointing. Um, I don't think it's the end of the world. I think this is something that is a fix or correctable uh, issue that Texas is experiencing. But you know, it, it's hard. It it kind of seems. I don't even want, I'm not even going to say it. it. It seems reminiscent of some previous teams in the past recent years. And you don't want that. You know, you don't want any of Texas basketball to be reminiscent of the product that was on put on the court, you know, under Shaka Smart. And I think that obviously Chris Beard, I, I, I believe in his message. I think he's the right guy for the job. I think it's going to take time for him to instill his culture into the basketball program. And there's going to be road, you know, hiccups and, and speed bumps along the way. And I think this is one of them. Um, but it, it doesn't make it any less surprising to me. It, it's definitely surprising um, just because of, you know, how how well they did during the offseason, getting, you know, guys out of the transfer portal, had a lot of hype going into the season. You don't want to see a team, you know, get complacent or anything or, or just rely on one guy to carry the load because that's just not going to work. And, and that, that's in pretty much every sport, not just basketball. I mean, my goodness, you can't just have one, one guy on the, you know, playing that's doing their job and having to carry the way of everyone else that's that's the recipe for disaster so um you know i think this is something that chris beard's gonna have to get ironed out and quickly no doubt about it especially with big 12 plagues the big 12 conference yeah it's kind of a weird year in my opinion chip i feel like the big 12 is kind of all over the place but any team can beat you and that's not necessarily a good place that you want to be you want to be the team that everyone's afraid to play not the team that everyone gets hyped up to play because of your struggles that you're showing on the court. So yeah, I'm going to have to agree. I'm going to say this is a surprise um, and uh, not a good one, I'd say for Texas basketball. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, the, the defensive minded coaching in the big 12 is among the best in all of college basketball. I mean, Iowa state, no one knows who TJ Otzelberger is, but man, his teams, his team this year in his first year at Iowa state has been a, a monster uh, in defending and, and they have, you know, put, put things together pretty quickly with some transfers of their own. So this thing's going to go a bunch of different directions. And as we, as we saw this past week with K-State beating both Texas Tech and Texas, um, you got to be ready every night because if K-State is the freebie in the big 12, there's no freebies. So yeah. uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a, a fist fight in a phone booth all the way through. And, and the Texas women um, are incredibly exciting to watch with Rory Harmon, their freshman point guard, who uh, can just light up the floor um, in a way, you know, kind of reminds me a little bit of TJ Ford in, in some ways. I don't want to put her in that category, but she's just fearless that way. So, um, she's got a long way to go. It's a long season and Vic Schaefer is a really tough coach on his point guards, but, uh, there's still a lot to be excited about with, with both the Texas men and, and women's basketball. Um, all right, Taylor, good stuff today. Yeah, you too. Uh, and everybody good work last night too, uh, Tuesday night. So I want to say this to our audience. We normally would record our shows on Tuesday to be released first thing Wednesday morning. Texas basketball's had a lot of Tuesday games, so we've been releasing a little bit later, um, you know, than ideal, I'd say. So just be on the lookout for the flagship. If there's a Tuesday basketball game, be on the lookout for the flagship podcast to come out 
around Wednesday afternoon. So, and it'll have the basketball coverage in that. So I wanted, I should have said that earlier in the show, but that is why we're not releasing this every Wednesday morning. Uh, we figure it seems weird to record when there's a game on the day and <laughs> we're not going to be talking about the game on the show. So just a schedule alert there for our, our audience. Yeah. And as it turns out, good thing we waited because yeah. uh, <laughs> Gary Patterson showed up. All right. Uh, Taylor, good stuff. And thanks to everybody for listening. Make sure you check out the Phil Dawson flagship podcast interview. Uh, Phil is a unique guy. He's just, he's got an incredible presence about himself, an incredible confidence, a devout faith uh, and belief and walks the, the talk, but he's also just a thoughtful storyteller. And, and so check out that flagship podcast interview this week, especially uh, with, uh, you know, Cameron Dicker moving on, you'll, you'll have a, a greater appreciation. Dicker, by, by going three of three against K-State in the season finale in what turned out to be Dicker's last game as a Longhorn, he passed Phil Dawson for most field goals made with 60. Phil Dawson made 59, and they share the school record for attempts with 70. So uh, it's, it's a good listen, and he, he weighs in on everything you can possibly imagine. So um, thanks again for listening, everybody. For Taylor Estes, I am Chip Brown. We'll see you over at horns247.com. And until next time right here on the flagship podcast, stay safe and keep the faith.